Welcome to Send and Transcend. I'm your coach, Elizabeth, and today's guest is celebrity dietitian, Kim Shapira. You guys, we talk all about her new book. The title is, This is What You're Really Hungry For, Six Simple Rules to Transform Your Relationship with Food and Become Your Healthiest Self. We got into it. I talked about this whole almond mom phenomena. We talk about Ozempic. We talk about intermittent fasting. We talk about how much water you really need. And we also talked about like, are there ways that we're damaging our kid? Are we passing along our food issues to our children? What are some warning signs that we're doing that? What are some things we can do instead? You guys, I could have talked to her, no joke, for like three hours. It was so great. I felt like I was getting all of this incredible free advice. So be sure to grab a notepad for this show. Make sure that you're somewhere where you can really listen to it because she drops all sorts of knowledge. Kim, thank you so much for being on the show. I can't wait to dig into everything, you know, food mindset, food, what's kind of like driving us, this what are we really hungry for? I love that your book is going to answer that question with your method. But I love on your website, you say obsessing over health is not wellness. That really resonated. So can you tell me a little bit more why you feel that way? And what is kind of how do we know when we're getting into the danger zone of being obsessive? about wellness or about food? Oh my gosh, there's so much there. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. And second of all, let's jump right into that one. Yeah. I operate from a place of understanding that we are in the center of our own universes. And if we're connected to the things that are important to us, and we're constantly connecting to make sure that we're seeing that we're connected again to those things that are important. And that could be spirituality, it could be adventure, it could be relationships, finances, our physical bodies, sleep, the way that we're eating. When we're connected and we're open to learning, then what happens is we stay mentally well in that area. So when we become obsessive or when we go into a worry place, we're actually disconnected. And so allowing yourself to kind of like reground and understand, I don't know everything. What am I not seeing here? And where am I neglecting to take care of my health will kind of help us be less obsessive. But anytime that we have, thoughts of, I didn't sleep well last night, or I can't believe I had McDonald's, or should I eat if I'm not hungry? Whatever the thought is, when we're overthinking it, then we're actually not physically feeling what's in our body. I love that. It's a disconnection, right? And I think a lot of people are talking about just like overall, how there's some disconnection between whether it's political groups, whether it's your neighbor, if you will, whether it's based on gender or skin color. And I really do feel like it's like when we stop, when we, when we forget the fact that we're all connected is when there is that separation. So it sounds like you're saying that that's with our body too and our relationship to fuel that we're providing it, what we're fighting, feeding our brain, what we're really letting come in between us and what we know to be true within our soul. I am saying that, but if, we, if we're like specifically focusing on obsession, I'm going with worry too right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of like, I feel like it's in the same kind of thought. And any time that I'm spending time obsessing or worrying, I'm actually not in this moment. And I think you're kind of like praying for that worry to come true. What do they say? Like, you know, worrying is praying for something bad to happen. And so I think that that can be a big leap though, because I am a big, I mean, I think I border on being an almond mom. And I had a mom who dinner was either ice cream or it was a green apple and a Diet Coke. 
you know? So it was very extreme. And that, you know, not to play the blame game, but that's just what it was growing up. Or it was very, you know, Midwestern, clean your plate, even if you're not done. So are you seeing that with a lot of your clients these days too, of like how this external conditioning can really shape you into the existing relationship you have with food? I think all trauma starts in our childhood. And I think unless we go through something traumatizing as an adult or, you know, even a teenager, we develop new triggers. So yeah, the way that we eat, which food for so many people, they don't think it's fuel. They're not, we're not, there's, it's a fundamental problem where we're not thinking food is fuel. And also what is hunger? People are not talking about hunger. And if they're talking about hunger, it's either, I don't like to be hungry. I don't like the way hunger makes me feel or hunger is scary. Or makes me feel really good. I like to feel hungry, right? But the truth is, is like, if we're thinking food is anything other than fuel, we're emotionally triggered. If we think food is comfort, food is scary, food is fun, food is the party, you know, food is my entertainment, food is my best friend, food is, you know, my biggest enemy, we're not actually okay. And then we have to kind of do the work of where is my mind again? Oh my God, what you just said, the food is the party. It's so true. Like. Even with, and I see us doing it with our kids. And honestly, that's what worries me the most is like, I always wonder coming from a background of having bulimia and an eating disorder, I'm like so worried I'm going to fuck up my kids, right? Like how am I unconsciously passing this along to them? So I try to be hyper vigilant about there's no bad foods, there's slow foods and go foods. But even then I'm categorizing them kind of as good or bad. But I do, I just feel like with the options that they have out there and a lot of these birthday parties, you know, it's a cupcake with two inches of icing on the top and all of this stuff. So I wipe the icing off. I'm the mom at the party doing that and blotting the pizza to get the grease off the top. And I'm like, okay, but no other moms are doing this. And is this now me imparting my fear of food onto my children? But like, we have to draw the line somewhere, do we not, Kim? Where it's like, we want to make sure that they're making good food choices, but we don't want to give them a complex. Like, do you have any advice on that? I know that's kind of a big topic, but like mostly I it's so interesting. And again, back to being well and what's important to you. Right. We make choices from either place of fear or trust. And so somewhere in blotting the pizza and taking off the icing, you're fearful that what they're going to get fat or they're going to be unhealthy. I'm worried. Yes, I'm going to be totally honest. I am worried that they will get overweight. And it's not because I feel like that's a reflection on me and I'm fat phobic. It's more like I don't want them to get teased and bullied like I was, right? Because at five foot 11, I've always just been bigger than most people. And and I wasn't 120 pounds, like a supermodel five foot 11. I was like, I mean, in high school, I think it was like 180. I mean, I was a big kid. Like I'm not that now, but I'm also not super skinny now. And so I just know that because I'm tall, my husband is six, six, they will be tall people. They just already are. And so I don't want to add overweight on to that as well, because I don't want them to develop an eating disorder like I did. I don't want them to be miserable and and loathe their body. But I also know that all of that shit is very addicting, like sugar. Why not then teach them to love their body? Why not teach them to say, there's a cupcake at every party. Be hungry when you eat it. Check in, see if you need the whole cupcake. Do you need half the cupcake? Do you like frosting? How does frosting make you feel? Right? Yeah, no, it's so good. Right. We yeah. will do, I will check in with them and, and they go out to ice cream maybe once a week. Like it's, we definitely like let them have treats, but, but I was asked them after, like, how do you feel after you've had two scoops, you know, or maybe just one, or maybe we don't need that. But 
I'm also like, okay, so am I the one putting this in them? I know we have to like teach them, but not give them a complex. I just finished a conversation with a client who he's recently lost 10 pounds. I mean, he's got about 15 more to go. He was entertaining his five-year-old son's friends last night and his, his son just got their cast off and this other family came over and my client's son was having a juice box and his daughter was having a juice box and the little friend comes into the kitchen and says, can I have a juice box? My client says, absolutely. The mom rushes over. She looks at the daughter square in the, she squares her out off and stares her in the eyes and she goes, what else did you eat today? Have you already had sugar? You may not have a juice box. And then she looks at my client and says, please don't ever offer my child a juice box again. Okay, I see both sides of that. <laughs> so do I. So do I. I, I see, see both sides. sides. Like I've been the person who doesn't let them have the juice box, not at a party or something. That I'm always like, you're with your friends and whatever. But I have asked them, like, how much have you had today if you really want that? Or... Is there, can we just eat an apple instead of having the apple juice box? Like, is there something that we can do? But yeah, I mean, I, I see both sides like me too, very equally. Me too. But the thing is, it's this little girl's story, right? This is her life. This is where she's got to learn how to stand back up and say, you know what? I actually don't like juice box. But the problem is if the mom restricts the juice box, totally she's going to get it everywhere that her mom is not. She is going to sneak it. And she's going to end up with a problem. So then they grow up and then they come to you with what is like the biggest obstacle or the biggest thing that you feel like is a is an unhealthy relationship with food? Like what would be the number one thing people come to you and say, I need help with this? Honestly, it I mean, I'm a registered dietitian. So mostly I want to help people lose weight to be their healthiest weight. The problem is and like, I you know, I don't. I'm just going to give you a little backstory. Like I wasn't raised in a family that had any restrictions. We didn't have any labeling around food. I was the house where everybody came and binged at because we had kudos bars and things everywhere and ding dongs. And like, we didn't, you know, we didn't, we didn't ever have a restriction. We were never told no. And because we were never told no, we never needed it. And you know, I ended up getting sick as a young kid when I was 12. And because I kept going, because of the situation that I was in, I ended up with a shopping addiction, mostly because my mom would say to me, we'll go shopping after your doctor appointments. And it turns out I ended up with four years of doctor appointments every Wednesday. And so I would go wow. to this horrendous appointment looking forward to what I was going to buy. Mm. And every emotion led me to, I need something new. And I wanted to pick a career in health because I wanted to be healthy because I wasn't. And so I thought food makes people healthy. This is super easy. And yeah. then I started my practice. I started putting people on diets, making them healthy. I told them exactly what to eat that was going to course correct blood sugar problems, blood pressure, cholesterol, triglycerides. Nobody was going to have a heart attack, a stroke, or cancer on my watch. And my first client, she lost 30 pounds. She was a therapist. Hmm. And then she says to me, you know what, Kim, I'm going to gain the weight back. And this deeply triggered me. I'm like, why in the world would you do something like that? I just literally made you your healthiest right, self. Right. And notice how I said that I made you. Like yeah. I personally did that. Right. And she said, you know what? My husband wants to have sex with me all the time. And I was molested as a child. Oh, yeah. And I thought, 
oh my God, I actually don't know what I'm doing. And so I started recognizing these patterns in my clients. Like I could tell them to eat kale, but then they were sneaking the ice cream. Yeah. And so it became like very apparent that they were into that they were in the wedding. And I right. knew I was supposed to put money in the bank, but I really needed another white t-shirt more. And so as I started like looking at that, I started recognizing like when you ask what's the biggest problem, it is our childhood. It is these messages and it's our parents who are afraid or not afraid. So that makes me fearful. So if I'm not Good. afraid. So let's, let's work through it. Like if I have the stuff in the house, I do, like I have brought in some stuff before, right? Like we've brought cookies or something into the house, right? Because I don't want it to be this forbidden thing. You're going to hate this too. But after Halloween, the candy witch comes that night. They get to pick three pieces and then the candy witch comes and takes it away and gives them a Barbie or something instead of the candy. Like, but I know me, I can't have it in the house. It is a trigger binge for me. So for, as somebody who's in recovery, I can't have that stuff around. And my... My family's so sweet at holidays. They want to send big tubs of like Garrett's popcorn or cookies. And and I nobody knew about my eating disorder until the book came out where I put that in there. But I don't think they realize that that's a, that's a binge trigger. And so I can't like I can't have I can't be the house that has that kinds of stuff. So that makes me worry that since I can't have it in the house and then they're not exposed to it. And we do. We, we are falling into that. Oh, let's go out for ice cream when you get your braces off or when you get whatever. And it's because my husband has an insatiable sweet tooth, but mom never goes to ice cream. Mm. Mom sometimes sits at dinner and has a glass of water, you know, and because I do like the feeling of hunger every once in a while. Yeah. Mostly and, probably because you feel like everything else is heavy. And so right. having lightness is it's an emptiness. Right. Yeah. But it's very extreme, right? Like with eating short, right? It's either empty or like so full and then must empty immediately. And so- yeah. So I feel like, are we just predestined to somehow fuck our kids up? Like, is there, is there any right way? I think it's all working on yourself. Yeah, to heal ourselves first, right? And I don't think that, I think we can, you know, turn the page and have the story end and a new one start, right? And if you're mm -hmm. in chapter two right now, you're writing it as you're going. And so it's really understanding, like, when we talk about this, it triggers me. And my mm -hmm. practice is learning how to remain unaffected here. And I can do that by working on my nervous system and rewiring the way that my mind is telling me I need to survive this moment. Because the reality mm -hmm. is tougher than I think. I've survived every one of my moments. And what used to serve me and help me cope no longer is necessary. Right. And I feel like I want to ask you, I'm sure with COVID, did you just see a surge of people wanting out and trying to get healthy, trying to heal their issues with food? Or do you feel like a lot of people took those that at least the first year to kind of numb with wine or with food or have you seen any big trends over the last two or three years? I think there's a combination, right? The average American gained 29 pounds in COVID. Oh my God, really? So that's the trend. But the reality is also people were really scared of being, of dying from COVID in the beginning. So they kind of like quickly were like, how healthy can I get? Mm -mm, right. You no, know, and then that once that fear or trigger kind of like died down a little bit, things changed. Yeah. But overall, I think that being well has has shifted, and yeah. what that looks like for sure. You know, mental health is on the forefront of everyone's mind. So good, thank God. Right. Like I feel like that. It's. I feel like that's what the boomer generation, or maybe our parents, 
were really trying to focus on. It was the Jenny Craig Nutrisystem era. And it was just like, let's not address at all. Even Weight Watchers now addresses some part of the mental, right? Like it was just do this. And then it was so debilitating when all the weight came back and more, you know, yeah, and it's terrible. it really is. So this might be kind of controversial. There's a lot of body confidence right now and acceptance, which feels really healthy. But do you sometimes struggle when you see somebody who's clearly just at an unhealthy weight? And then we're seeing messages of not, I mean, everybody should be accepted, but like this is this is pro healthy. This is pro wellness because I feel okay at this weight. Like, how do you navigate yeah, so, that? So I'm a registered dietitian again, which means like right. I understand human metabolism and clinical nutrition and every single disease that comes along with that. So body positivity is separate, in my opinion, than weight. Right. I could be skinny, lean, overweight, obese, love myself as I am in any one of those body types. And that's body positivity. It's not, you know, I want you to feel good in your body. You want me to feel good in my body. That's body positivity. And so there's a very fine line in like, can I be healthy at this weight? Yes, but that's not what we're talking about. Can you love yourself at this weight? Yeah. Body positivity. Yeah. And then, you know, I, as a dietitian, there is something called metabolic syndrome. Which basically says, if you're overweight, your body processes things dangerously or not as well as it would at a lower weight. Now, what's very interesting about this. So let's say we're talking about 175 pounds. Let's say this person starts seeing spikes in their blood sugar, triglycerides, cholesterol, or blood pressure. Maybe it's one, maybe it's a little bit, just minor. Okay. They're 175 pounds. Now, Maybe they're overweight, but still, maybe they only need to lose three pounds for that to tip back down to a healthy number. So it's it's really like a very broad idea yeah. of how much weight they need to lose. But there is no doubt in my mind that it is weight-related diseases. But again, it doesn't mean they need to lose 10, 15, 20, 30 pounds. It's a tipping point, and we just have to find that tipping point for them. I love that you said that because I think it's very easy to look at others and judge. And a few years ago, I moved here and this woman who's a close friend who I absolutely love, but she has serious food issues. You know, we were walking and we saw, as you do in SoCal, somebody in very short shorts. I've dubbed them denim underwear. I mean, it's like, you know, butt cheeks hanging out. And this was a very full figured woman, I guess. But I was like of the mindset of like, fuck yeah, like good for you, dude. Like I wish I had that confidence. Like no way in hell would I wear shorts that short. Like if my thighs are touching, you're not wearing shorts, right? And she was, she was, I hate to say kind of grossed out. And I said to her, I go, you don't know what she's on her journey. She might've just lost 50 pounds and this looks amazing. And she fits in these shorts or Maybe she gained 30 pounds and she's okay with that. Either way, she's wearing the shorts. And like, I think we should all just be wearing the shorts and like cutting each other a little bit more slack. I mean, God forbid somebody would have even said something. I hope not. But it's like, we don't know where each other is on their journey. So to your point, you may be looking at somebody judging them thinking, God, they need to lose 30 pounds. Maybe they need to lose two pounds or maybe all of their labs are perfect and like they're good and it's none of our business, right? Right. It's it's actually not our business, which is also interesting about this whole food situation yeah. because people are labeling food. 
good, bad, healthy. I saw this TikToker eating this and that's healthy and it worked for her. And yeah. you've got to be kidding me. And like people are not like focusing on what's good for them. Yeah. So take us through your method because I'm so excited about your book coming out. I want you to just kind of give us like a brief synopsis of what they can expect and then take us through like your five things. I will. So my book is called This Is What You're Really Hungry For. I can't wait to hear like what people are hungry for. And they're going to just probably say, I just can't wait to hear what they're hungry for. And it actually was five rules and in COVID became six. Yeah. And so what happens is the first one is to eat when you're hungry. And so Mm -hmm. there's that like hunger, which is a very scary thing. Somebody who weighs, let's say, 150 pounds and then they want to be 130, let's say, they're not going to be as hungry at 150 as they would at 130 because their body fat is too high and they eat more than they need. So you're not going to be as hungry at 150 as you would be at 130. For the specific person at this specific weight. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So really understanding hunger and again, trusting, there's that really big important word in bold that says, I know historically I've eaten 21 meals last week. I know I'm going to eat 21 meals next week. And I know that I'm going to eat again in two and a half hours or three hours. So eating when you're hungry trusting that you're going to eat again so you don't need to finish everything on your plate do you believe in snacking is snacking the downfall i believe in snacking and i also believe in not having to label it right like my snack could look like chicken tikka masala it could look like pizza and in the morning i could be hungry enough for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich like i don't have to have a handful of nuts or three grapes right so i get to eat what i need to eat when i'm hungry enough for whatever it is Right. Wow. And there's a fail safe. There's a fail safe and knowing that you're starting with half of your normal portion. So mm-hmm. you're not actually overeating. Wow. Now, like right now, weight loss drugs are all over the place. And really you know, Zempic is like, yeah. yeah, I was like, I'm not going to ask her about that, but we can I talk kind about of like it. To, I would kind of like to get your thoughts. And not only that, but like the intermittent fasting, I did that for a while and I gained weight and it, my hormones went crazy. But now I'm not hungry in the morning. And now I hear people saying, no, but you should eat in the morning because intermittent fasting is actually not healthy for women and their hormones. So those two things I would love your insights on. So Ozempic really is a a medication that creates a fullness hormone. We already have that fullness hormone and it hits our brains that we are satisfied after 15 minutes. So if we start with half of our normal portion and we really wait 15 minutes, we're going to know if it was enough food or not. And so we don't need to take Ozempic. We really just need to check, check in with ourselves. The problem yeah. is the discomfort between the time yes. they start eating and waiting that 15 minutes. Like if I'm hungry and I eat all my food in four minutes, I have 11 painful minutes to wait. But yeah. un- undoubtedly, I will be satisfied in 15 minutes. You just have so to get So is that a good rule to like start with half? Always. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's rule number one. Eat when you're hungry, start with half, wait 15 minutes and see if you need more. And then the reason why you're not as hungry, well, we'll, we'll get to that. Rule number two yeah. is to eat what you love. And I'm curious how you feel about that. And there feel is- scary. Right. And remember, we make choices from fear or trust. And right. the only way it works is when we go, turn to trust. Right. And so it's really eat what you love, but make sure the food loves you back. Mm-hmm. So diarrhea happens for me. Like anytime I eat blueberries- and like, I would say, That's like, bummer. if I said to you, how are blueberries? And you'd be like, those are healthy. And I'd I just like, had a bowl of them before we started. Yeah, it's yeah. great. I think too, somebody said to the other day is like, no, the serotonin that gets released when you have a cookie or whatever, 
It's like your body knows if it's good for you because you understand that there's either going to be pain on the other side of it or there's not. To your point of like, my stomach's going to hurt. Like I'm going to eat this knowing this is going to hurt my stomach or I'm going to feel shitty after I eat this in and out or whatever. But you do it anyway. Then you know you're being driven by serotonin, emotion versus hunger. Yeah. So you're right. So you always, so it's eat what you love, but make sure it's loving you back. Yeah. And then figuring out, do you love yourself enough to kind of honor and respect what your body's going through? Right. And so mm-hmm. I have tons of steps to figure, to help you figure out what that looks like. Because um, when I say eat what you love, people might say like, then I'm only going to eat cupcakes. And, you know, I want to call bullshit on that. That's not true, but now not. you're free to eat it. And so that's why you're thinking that. But the truth is eat what you love but only when you're hungry and you have to start with half. Those are good, Kim. I love right. so you, it. So again, you're not going to, you're not going to gain weight. Okay. Rule number three, eat without distractions. And so there are four reasons. Ooh, that's hard. Yeah. yeah. They eat emotional reasons. They eat for any physical stuff that's in front of them, like TV, iPad, whatever. They eat for cravings and they eat for hunger. And so going forward, just teaching people to eat only when they're physically hungry, trusting they can have food again. Is that something good that we should really model for our kids? I assume the answer is yes. But, you know, (laughs) that's what's so funny is like we've gotten into this rut of like our kids will go in the playroom and we'll let them relax with a snack and a show. And then they always want a second helping of the snack. It's pirate's booty or grapes or whatever. And we've just gotten to the point where it's like, it's okay because we don't want to sit at the table with them as they're eating their snack. We eat dinner at the table. But yeah, it's just I see so many kids at restaurants with screens, too. And like, yeah. I get it if the kid is going to be a jerk until the food comes. Like, I get that. But there's so many that just keep the iPad up as the kid's eating at the restaurant. Right. And I mean, I really think now it's just so it's just so easy to easy. have the nice meal with mom and dad and the kid is watching the iPad as they eat. But that's crazy dangerous, huh? I mean, we lost so much during COVID, you know, and yeah. It was a lot for parents. It was a lot for everybody. And so it's easy just to say, go ahead and do it too. The reality is, is that most people continue to eat while they're watching a show. And so what are they really enjoying, the show or the food? And you take away the entertainment, food is actually boring. It totally is. Like when you have to just sit at your table, like at your kitchen table or your counter and just undistracted eat. I'm like, is this over yet? <laughs> like, do I really have to wait the 15 minutes then, Kim? Right. Um, but when food is fuel, right, we want it in our bodies. Right. Oh my God. So, yeah. Okay. So you don't, you want to take away the distraction. You want to teach them to like actually enjoy the food. And the truth is the reward for eating is actually in the anticipation. I get to put that in my mouth rather than what's actually in their mouth. And we need to train them to recognize. Yeah with their hands down between bites to enjoy what's in their mouth and to slow down. So is that like a line in the sand rule? Like really, we should never be letting our kids eat in front of a screen? There's no lines in the sand because next week you can be in Italy and, you know, you could be, who knows what your circumstances are. The structure is in the rule. You eat when you're hungry. You eat without distraction. And like, if I could say to you, Elizabeth, right now, how, how bad do you have to pee? Yeah, not bad. Again, not bad. Right. You can yawn and be distracted at the same time. Right. So make a decision. Are you going to get up right now and pee? No, you're fine. So is just being on a date night or going out with girlfriends and eating count as a distraction? Yes. But again, now check in and see how hungry you are right now. How are you? Yeah. Right. Hungry? I'm hungry. But I'm yeah. also, I'm totally okay to wait. Right? What about so- alcohol? 
that's a whole nother situation. I know, dude. I'm not, I'm not pro-alcohol, but I think I just like, you know, the books that I've read and things like that, that just the effects that it has on your body and how it triggers, like it goes from processing the food to processing the alcohol and all of this stuff. But I feel like that's a huge distraction that numbs you from how hungry you are, how much you're eating. I mean, the nights when I do have a glass of wine, which is far, few and far between, I eat twice as much. Yeah. Like I just, I feel like it totally numbs that, that receptor of I'm full. Yeah. So there's a couple of studies. One study that shows specifically for date rape in college that when there's alcohol, there's always alcohol involved when there's date rape. And what they found was when alcohol is involved, it doesn't lower our inhibitions. Our true self comes out. So if you're very shy and you drink, then you can be a little bit more yeah. fun and wild. And so it's interesting about the food, right? Yeah. So pay attention to that. I am from the thinking, I, my, the way I think about it truly is alcohol, food, cutting, smoking, shopping, they're all the same. And so if a drink is social, no problem. If you need a drink, there's a problem. Yeah. I would and it would be with that. Yeah. And so there's work to be done on that, right? And yeah. I, I think there's something what I like to call normal eating, which means I'm going to have a drink when I want to have a drink just yeah. because that I'm not going to be persecuting or be ashamed of it. Right. It would be like birthday cake, right? There's going to be an occasion when I'm not actually hungry and I'm going to have birthday cake. And the, the reality is that's very normal body takes three days to process that. And we just need to let it. We need to trust our body to do what it does naturally. It is a self-regulating machine. We screw it up by saying, oh my God, I totally screwed up and ate the cake. I might as well just keep eating. Or now I'm not going to eat because I ate the cake. We're screwing it up. Just get back to normal. And what happens is in three days, your body wouldn't even recognize that you had cake. I feel like somebody said it. Maybe it was like Beth Nickel when she came out with that in my opinion, terrible book, skinny, whatever, skinny girl bullshit. And, and she said, it's like your, your body is like a bank. Some days you make deposits and withdraws. But her whole thing was like, if you have the cake, then just don't eat for three days. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. So if I, if I have in and out one day or whatever, then I just live on salads and minestrone soup for the next three days, and then it'll be canceled out. But you're saying the opposite of that. Like, just don't let it go out of control. Don't go off the rails with it. Just try to pull it the, back. I think of my six rules as a set of values, Yeah. right? So like you brush your teeth when you leave your house in the morning. You wash your hands after you go to the bathroom. Like these are just yeah. things that we do that we were told over and over and we trained to do them. Yeah. Becoming a normal eater means eating when you're hungry anywhere in the world that you are starting with half just to see how much more you need, knowing that it's going to fluctuate, right? There's structure in these rules. Our body thrives on consistency. It likes to get up at the same time. It likes to poop at the same time. It likes to drink the same amount of water. It likes to eat the same amount of food in weight as the day before. Yeah. Our body is giving us signals all day long on what it needs. And we're the ones who are not listening to it. If we think about it, we have 60% of our body is water. We have 500 billion cells and 43% of those cells are water. water. If I eat something salty or a lot of alcohol or whatever it is, now I'm creating too much water put into my cells. It has to get back to 43% and it takes three days for that to happen. That's all. That's all that's happening. We just have to let it happen. And so it doesn't mean that I will be less hungry, more hungry. I still need to focus on am I hungry when I'm eating? 
and occasionally yeah. I eat cake because it's someone's birthday and I want to. Right. You want to live a little. So with intermittent fasting, do you think that it matters then when like at that point, I do feel like we are ignoring hunger cues, at least in the beginning, right? Until your body gets accustomed to not eating till noon or yeah. one o'clock. But in you, in your mind, are you one of the people who support like the total amount of calories? I'm going to assume not, but like eating till sati till satiated, but waiting until noon to do so, to ignore no. the, okay, right. So like if it was like, you know, 97, we'd be talking about like, Atkins and keto and high protein. And, you know, we can switch out the fads as they come, right? The only thing good that came out of intermittent, anything good that came out of intermittent fasting was the fact that we shouldn't eat before we lay down and go to bed. Traditionally speaking, our bodies need at least a three to six hour gap so they can just work yeah. on sleep. Sleep is where we like our melatonin increases and it actually goes into each one of those 500 billion cells and it cleans them. It like vacuums up and, you know, any inflammation. If we eat, we're telling our body, it's time to wake up. We don't need that melatonin right now. And again, our body needs consistency because we've got these circadian rhythms. Everything has this master clock and runs smoothly. Yeah. So I don't believe in intermittent fasting at all. I don't believe, I mean, like, think about it for one second. Our body with this master clock, if we're telling it, if we're feeling hungry and we don't eat, what's the message we're giving our body? Go into starvation mode. Go into starvation mode. There's a famine. If we overeat, what's the message we're giving our body? Slow down because... Store everything. Store yeah. everything. There's a winter, you know, famine coming. Yeah. Right? So our body is listening to everything that we do and we need to honor it. Well, what if you've been doing intermittent fasting? I'm being totally selfish here. But if, if I had been intermittent fasting, I realized like it's not really giving me the results that I want. Do I then force myself to eat breakfast, even though my body's now accustomed to not eating breakfast? Yes. And now again, without labeling breakfast as breakfast, we can and we will. But what does breakfast look like? Does it mean it's three eggs, a piece of toast, a side of avocado and some potatoes? No. Does it mean it's like it's a tiny like, egg white bite? Yeah. It can be a tiny egg white bite, right? It, and that it could be coffee with some milk, right? It's just making sure you're honoring what you need. And right now you're not hungry. So let's right. train it to be hungry. That's so interesting. I mean, I feel like that's the opposite of what, you know, everybody thinks they need. They need to just not feel hunger, right? And let's take some Ozempic and let's take this. No, Ozempic is your best friend. Think about when we're sick, we don't get hungry, yeah. right? If your kids stopped having to pee, you're rushing them to the doctor. Right. Hunger means our body is working. Yeah. We want to, we want to honor that, right? My whole career, I have worked on what happens the day after you lose this weight. It would like break me in a hundred different ways if people gain their weight back, right? Yeah. I am all about how can you sustain this weight loss or this change, right? And if you're going to do intermittent fasting, how long can you maintain that? What if you're, you know, going up Hawaii and the time change and suddenly now you're eating two hours earlier? Oh, I know. It's a mess. Like every, like life yeah. has all these different storms. You have to learn how to remain unaffected by them. Right. But your body needs food. That's what we food is fuel. What else do we have? Right. But you work with a lot of celebrities and I got to assume, too, that they want to look a certain way for a certain award show or premiere or movie. So how do you handle that with them then if there's the temptation to go on a low carb diet or do something to drop some weight quick? And then for those role, are not my people. OK, those are not my people. So like <clears throat> I wouldn't work with anybody who needed to lose that quick weight. I am. Yeah. Like, I do believe in this idea of being like beach ready, 
you know, 365 days yeah. a week. You're always ready. Yeah. That's the mentality. So I love that. We're not getting ready for a trip or a wedding, anything like that. You're ready. Yeah. We're gonna keep, we're gonna stay there. Oh my god, I love it. Okay, I think we're on rule number four. Okay, rule number four is to walk ten thousand steps. Okay, so I've got a question about this. I'm a step counter. I love to do it. And if you guys follow Kim Shapiro on Instagram, you'll see her with her tennies like every morning going for a walk. I'm big on that. Some days, as you know, you can be stuck behind the desk. I do have a standing desk. I'm entertaining getting one of those walking pads or those treadmill under the desk. How do you yeah. feel about those? Is it Great. the same 10,000 steps no yeah. matter where you get them? Yeah. And you know what? Really, it should be 10,000 movements. We should really lose steps. But because there are step counters, we do steps. Yeah. The, the reality is you and I could be talking with our hands and yeah. I'm actually getting steps just doing this. Oh, right? So it. like it. it's we the average American is sedentary. Totally. To decrease your risk of sudden death, you need 7,000 steps every single day. To maintain your circadian rhythms, which is your sleep and wake, and then your digestion and all your hormone balance and your weight, to maintain that, it's 10,000 steps. And so but playing with our kids or, dance, you dance. know, yeah. Having dance parties. Yeah. yeah. Okay, when my kids good. were really young, I used to play Dora the Explorer and we would go for walks and hide from Swiper behind trees. We would just like run from yeah, one tree it. and pretend Swiper was right there. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. 10,000 steps. I feel like the next one, the next one is water, good. right? Okay. And so water, the recommendations for water are eight cups of water every single day. And this, and coffee doesn't count? Coffee doesn't count because it's dehydrating. Oh, I know. I wish I, I coffee counted. I know. And, and herbal tea doesn't count either because... Coffee, tea, wine, and juices, they have tannins, and those are not great for your kidneys. So it's just drinking water. And water is like naturally detoxes every one of our organs and all of our cells. And so it's got to be water. Can we drink too much water? Because everybody's got the big, I'm guilty too. I've got one of those big, ugly water bottles that's obnoxious. And I've got one for my kid too. And now they're drinking. And I'm like, then I hear these things that like your body can only absorb four ounces of water every 30 minutes or something. So we're actually like overwatering. We're up where we are. Over, yes, we're overwatering and we're overeating because we can only absorb a certain amount of calories too at the same time. So yes, we only need eight cups of the water a day. And if we're and, having- And space them out. Space them out for okay. sure. Yeah, because we don't want right. to flush out the vitamins and minerals that we're eating. Okay. I love yeah. this. Okay. And the last rule, and this rule became a rule in COVID because people were not sleeping well. Yeah. And the average American only gets about six and a half hours of sleep. So it became seven hours. And the reality is we need seven to nine hours, but we need to be consistent. And so I just say seven, because to be honest with you, that's already hard enough for many people. And it actually yeah. is good enough. And you cannot lose weight and you cannot maintain your weight if you're not sleeping seven hours. Girl, preach. I tell all my clients too, I'm like, let's talk about your sleep. Yeah. And nobody wants to do it. I, I keep saying, I'm like, everybody's like, how's everybody doing that? And I'm like, because nobody's sleeping. No, but these women are not sleeping. That's how they're right. doing it all. And it's coming at a major cost. I think for your brain yeah. too, you make, you have a lot more mistakes in your work, your relationships suffer. I mean, all of it, right? But I feel like women are motivated by, if this is going to prevent me from losing weight, then I will prioritize sleep. Yeah, it's actually, it improves your health. And if you go back to obsessing over wellness or, you know, obsessing over your health, the reality is if you're not sleeping, you're obsessing over being tired. And the truth is there's yes. not a piece of chocolate or a cup of coffee that's going to help you that day. You're experiencing jet lag. 
and you're going to have to give your body a chance to recover. And again, it takes three days. And all wow. you can do is accept that that's where you're at. Right. But get on a good schedule. Oh my God, I love it. Yeah. I love all of this. I mean, I feel like I could talk to you. I think this is one of the longest podcasts I've ever recorded because there's just so much to talk about. You guys have to get her book. This is what you're really hungry for. Six simple rules to transform your relationship with food and to become your healthiest self. Kim Shapira, thank you for spending time with us. Please come back. You guys are going to be sick of me posting on Instagram about this when your book comes out. Give us the launch date and give us some places that they can find you to connect with you, maybe pre-book. Okay. My book comes out July 25th. I'm so excited. 2023, right around the corner. And you can find me on Instagram at Kim Shapira Method. My website is Kim Shapira Method. My Twitter is Kim Shapira Method. My Facebook is Kim Shapira Method. And <laughs> my TikTok is Kim Shapira Method. <laughs> it's great. You guys, she's the real deal. I love how you're no bullshit. It's just, this is what to do. I love that there's no judgment or shame. This is supposed to be a safe place for people yeah. to come for information. And I love that that's the authentic person you show up as. So thank you for spending time with us. You guys go get the book. This is what you're really hungry for. 